Welcome everybody to the NFL Legends Show on the Grueling Truth Sports Network. I am your host for the NFL Legends Show, Mike Goodpaster. And right now, I would like to welcome in our legend for the day, three-time Pro Bowl kicker for the Kansas City Chiefs. Help me welcome Nick Lowry to the show. How you doing, Nick? I'm good. And by the way, seven times on all pro teams <laughs> as, as well. We In the 80s, Mike, we had uh, not the, the best team, not the way it is today. And and as kickers, they don't have any backups, so I'm pretty proud of the seven times being all pro as well. Yeah, that's not bad in 10 years, so what the heck. All right, so let's talk about it. You were born in Germany, correct? My dad was very senior CIA, and so I was, I'm not German. I was uh, part of the post-World War II Europe and, and the you know uh, need for protection um, and what was called the Iron Curtain there. My father was an expert on Russia and Eastern Europe, and so I was born in Munich. And actually, when my father died, Mike, 10 years ago, I asked a couple of his former colleagues, because my dad was 86, and they were all retired in their 80s, I said, so how senior was my dad? They said, your dad wasn't senior. Your dad was chief of station in London. So uh, when you watch James Bond from now on, think about the fact that you've got the M character that James Bond is always being reprimanded by, who yeah. is his boss, if you will, that used to be played by Judy Dench, now it's somebody else. And... Um, the, my father was the American M, so my father met with MI5 and MI6 in London during the 60s, the late 60s, and pretty cool stuff. Yeah, most definitely. Um, when did you move to D.C.? Well, we, so we went back and forth. So when I was born, I lived in Germany for just a year as a baby, and then uh, from the age of one to nine in the northern Virginia area, as you know, the, the CIA moved from right near where the Kennedy Center is and the State Department out to Langley, Virginia in 1962, I believe. Yeah. And now it's called the George George H.W. Bush Center for Intelligence, which Barbara Bush constantly reminded her husband um, it was a rather ironic name. Um, <laughs> and uh, we went to Europe for four and a half years in London and then in Germany and Bonn, which then was the capital. Now it's Berlin again since 1992, I think. And um, stayed then from that point on, from eighth grade on, back in the United States. All right. So when did you start playing football? Was it that last time when you finally came back to the United States, or was it before that? It was. I'd never played football before. I played uh, cricket. I played baseball a lot i played a ton of soccer in england the year that england won the world cup i was playing 10 hours a day of soccer and when you play that much that's when you know Malcolm gladwell talks about 10,000 hours of becoming a master of your craft yeah well 10 hours a day is one way to get there fast and you just get to the point where you your body and your mind are linked and uh, you have a level of control and skill and then um, played basketball in Germany, no soccer. And then I find myself in eighth grade back at Potomac School in McLean, putting a ball on a tee and going, wow, that was easy. And uh, <laughs> kicked, my, kicked my first 32-yard field goal against the Landon Bears. And ironically, my last high school field goal was also against Landon uh, with no time left, 43-yarder uh, in the mud and the rain to, to beat the uh, – 
what would have been the league champion land and a team. And it's a funny video because no one expected anyone to kick in those conditions and from that far. And so it was the last game of the season. Everybody from Landon's side was running on the field after I kicked it, thinking game's over, there's no way he'll make it. Then there's a delay of about four seconds, and then everybody from St. Albans runs on the field too, and I had about 50 people jump on me. But those moments, that people ask you, what are the favorite moments in your career? And they, they expect it to be a game-winning field goal in the playoffs to beat Pittsburgh or whatever. But I tell them that game-winning field goal, the last two seconds of my high school career, that's just as important. That's the sign when you're a young, immature person that, um, you know, you've got potential and to believe in yourself and to keep working to be great at something. So how were you recruited by colleges or did you decide to oh, go yeah. to Ivy I was, League early uh, on just because of which I was recruited. Um, I was recruited by Ivy League schools as well. And, and we had a wonderful um, person that was helping with advice. And I just decided I was either going to go to Stanford or to an Ivy League school and Ohio State, I know, is one of the schools that inquired, but we just didn't yeah, deal with it. That's so, not Ivy League, Nick. Uh, which, which, which kept, which, which, yeah, it kept it simpler. I think you know, it's, it's a lot of pressure, and a great deal of distraction for uh, young players trying to be students and trying to have balance in their lives. And um, I'm, I'm pretty fortunate that's what happened. And my thought was, if I go to an Ivy League school and I do well. The thing about being a kicker in the NFL is it's pretty easy to uh, to quantify um, whether you make it or you don't. So I figured if I was decent in college, I'd have some attention. And, and that is what happened, um, although I wasn't drafted. But in the end, it worked out. But it was a long, interesting journey being cut by eight teams 11 times before I made it. Yeah, and I would assume that as a kicker, though, that happens to a lot of guys that we see go on to have great careers. And with what you wanted to do with the, I guess, the politics, because your dad was, is that what you originally entered Dartmouth wanting to do, or did you have another goal with your education? Well, I actually was MVP of the baseball team, and I had an 0.38 and 0.78 earned run average uh, my junior and senior year as a pitcher, I pitched 70% of my team's innings, and we, we won the league championship both years. And, and then I had a 1.0 earned run average as a freshman at Dartmouth. But um, it, it was, let's just say God led me a different direction. We had a coach that was not my favorite who wanted to change my motion, and, and it just wasn't fun. And so after my sophomore year, I said I'm going to focus on football. And I took ballet, believe it or not, and I felt like a hippopotamus. Uh, in ballet class, but but I then go straight out to the field after taking ballet and kick, and um, I felt like a much more graceful hippopotamus. In that season, I had my best year in college. I literally did not miss a single kick. So um, those were uh, more seeds, if you will, and looking at what it takes and what helps you get to a different level of of excellence. All right, so when your Dartmouth career was over, just take us through your journey to get to the NFL. <laughs> that might that might take a while, but started with the New York Jets, and, and I was, you know, you're intimidated. You're not only intimidated by the lack of experience and, and the projections you have on these athletes uh, that you're trying to become one with, but as a kicker, you don't have 
20, 30 plays in a preseason game, you'll be lucky if you have one kick, maybe two. And so the pressure level is extraordinary. As I look back, I was learning how to totally focus and embrace those 1.25 seconds or 1.3 seconds at most when you have to be on. And so that took time. And I actually blew two field goals off the dirt in San Diego off the infield and thought it was over. And I began to realize maybe some of this is my own fault, if you will, that it's the fear of the end of your dream. And so many people, I think, might spend their time keeping their, their dream in suspended animation where they can't fail, but they also can't actually make it happen. And so um, after a couple of days of, after being cut by the jets, I went up and I was going to be a drill instructor in French back at Dartmouth and work out and hope for an opportunity. And the opportunity was two hours away in Foxborough at the old Schaefer stadium, right next to where the new one is. And I literally drove down there because their kicker, John Smith was hurt, showed up, kicked, uh, God bless him. Uh, Chuck Fairbanks took a look at me and at 6:30 at night and probably mid September and uh, a week later they signed me they put me up at the Red Fox Motor Inn on Route 1 and I actually saw that when I went to the Chiefs victorious game against the Patriots at the end of near the end of the season this year this past season um so it was a great team and I was completely freaked out but also feeling like this is how I can make it and it took time to get to that level. I absolutely knew it was going to take time. And we won both games. Um, I made all my extra points. I only had one field goal attempt from 45 yards, which I missed badly. And um, they cut me. And again, that same interesting uh, journey where you think it's the end of your dream. And then you realize, you know, I've just got to keep putting myself out there long enough to be used to it. And so that's what happened. Each time that I tried, the pain was a little bit less, and the focus was a little bit better on just what I could control. And when I, when I speak today, and if you want to check out uh, LowrySpeaks.com, you can look at some of my speeches. But I love that idea that focus is so important anyway. But when I speak today, I talk about controlling your office that that space, maybe four yards by three yards, if you made it into a square or a rectangle, if you will, if I can control that, that's my mental, emotional office. If I can manage my emotions, manage my mental focus, I can maximize whatever my potential is. And the battle I think a lot of people today have is they think they have to be perfect. And really, it's about being the perfect you. Being the best you can be is not being perfect because no one's perfect everybody misses but what if you miss hardly ever and that's what i get to look back now and say i was able to achieve because i just hung in there and so then i began to try out with more teams in 1979 getting uh really close with the new orleans saints and cincinnati bengals and the san diego chargers where i was out kicking people but they would take somebody that had kicked in a previous game even though they weren't kicking yeah. as well as I was, and I almost gave up. And this is really important part of the, the story because Mike, after being cut by eight teams 11 times, I found myself with an offer to work on the permanent staff uh, because I had been a government major, political science major at Dartmouth College, the permanent staff of Senator Bob Packwood of Oregon on his Senate Commerce Science and Transportation Committee. 
and working on aviation safety and briefly on the Olympic boycott. And that's a great job. I mean, I would have gone to law school the next year and um, at night and, you know, my life would have gone in a very different direction. And there were only two of us and 11 attorneys and the rest were the secretaries. And uh, if your senator loses his or her job, you don't lose yours, which on every other staff in the Senate and the House is the case. So I get this call from James Schaff, Jim Schaff, the general manager for the Kansas City Royals. And I say to him, thanks so much for your interest, but I got this job maybe another time. And I hang up. And I, as I hung up, I literally <laughs> thought to myself, what did I just do? You know, I mean, yes, I've taken this other path, but I didn't even hear what they had to offer. And so what I did was I traced um, Jim Schaff without his name, didn't know how to spell his name, which is a different kind of spelling name, S-C-H-A-A-F. And there were two James Schaffs in the directory in um, Kansas City. He wasn't at the first one. He wasn't at the second one. But then I, when I asked the directory, well, is there a hospital since he told me he had back surgery just then? Um, and I found him at Research Hospital, and it blew him away that here's this stranger that I could find him. We talked for an hour. They flew me out, and uh, Marv Levy was the coach who uh, went on to Hall of Fame uh, head coaching with the Buffalo Bills. He was still, even in 1980, an excellent coach, and um, I just thought I should try one more time. They gave me a $2,500 bonus. Never had anything like that, and which is nothing today, but it was just that sign I should try one more time. And then I played 18 years, so it was worth it. And, um, you know, it, the person and the kicker that I was when I began in 1978 coming out of Dartmouth College and the kicker and person I was two years later, I was just night and day in terms of confidence. I was able to beat out the greatest kicker at that point in the history of the game, Jan Stenerud first kicker in the NFL Hall of Fame, break every shatter all of his records, including in my first field goals for the Chiefs set an NFL record with a 50-yarder and a 57-yarder, which was a club record, and the first time in NFL history a kicker had had two 50-yarders in a game. So what a breakthrough. And would I have ever, Mike, known I could have that capacity if I'd given up before? No. And – I find most times people are their own worst enemies and, you know, people stop themselves because a lot of times I think people are kind of even afraid to succeed sometimes. You know, that's exactly right. So it's, it's, it's the fear of failure, the fear of the end of the dream, but it's also the, if I succeed and I have a couple of good games, then they'll expect me to handle this pressure all the time. So I, I, I counsel people. I just spoke to 36 top Hawaiian baseball players on Sunday in Phoenix where I live. I canceled them. There's not only doing well that one year where nobody expects that much from you. It's then doing well when everybody just takes you for granted and your excellence has to come from within that you just have standards. Michael Jordan talked about this and, and Kobe Bryant, God rest his soul, talked about that too. It, just constantly working, constantly thinking about how can I get better and then finding some balance so you don't you know, neurotically put pressure on yourself all the time. All right, I know we don't have a lot of time, and I really want to get to what you do today, which you're the director of Canaway Sports. Um, you want to tell everybody a little bit about Canaway Sports? I really appreciate it, yes. So Canaway Sports is uh, something we created three years ago. Canaway has been rated the number one cannabis MLM 
Um, but it's also simply the finest company I've worked with, um, led by Dr. Stuart Titus, who arguably is the world authority on cannabis and CBD. So we're not talking about marijuana. We're talking about hemp-based CBD, which is required to be less than 0.3% THC, and we have a bunch of products that are zero THC. In fact, uh, as an example of, of the close to 200 world-class athletes we have taking our products, Amy Van Dyken, who won six gold medals in the Olympics, was the first woman to win four gold medals, and wonderful, amazing human being, was um, paralyzed in a huge tragedy six and a half years ago uh, in the summer in Colorado with her husband, former punter for the Denver Broncos, Tom Ruin. And uh, I saw her um, almost two years ago um, at the Jerry Colangelo tournament that I support for prostate cancer. And uh, I said to her, we need to tr get you on our CBD products. And so we, we got her on them. And one day she texted me and said, you know, it's helping, but I need, it's just not doing as much as I'd like. So we doubled because we thought, you know, she is paralyzed. It's not like a normal person's condition. And uh, she texted me back two days later, holy crap balls. I can't believe how much better I feel. And uh, just literally a month ago on Real Sports on HBO with Brian Gumbel, they did a feature on Amy Van Dyken who, with this newfound control over her pain, taking our pure product, which has zero THC, Amy Van Dyken qualified as the second fittest wheelchair athlete on the planet. And our goal this year is that she finishes number one. But we have all sorts of people, Eric Dickerson, Bruce Smith, Santana Dodson, Santonio Holmes, Steve Berline, uh, Michael Bankston, Christian Okoye, who led the NFL in rushing. Uh, we have MMA fighters. We have NASCAR drivers. Um, you know, we have a wide variety of athletes from all sports and very consistently all of them say that their quality of life has gone gone up their uh sleep their joints are better uh, eric was on stage last year in san diego at our believe conference saying literally it's just a matter of time before the nfl embraces this fully and it has transformed his life and here's a guy who is vice president of business development for the los angeles rams so this year, in, as we speak, in the collective bargaining agreement, one of the uh, offers that I think is going to happen is that players will no longer be suspended for using marijuana. So uh, my fight, and as a spokesman for Canaway, is I'm really proud to promote that, how powerful this is for Canaway sports, how powerful it is for athletes, but it's also powerful for anyone that ages. You know, because as we age, our sleep and our joints, our energy levels, all the things that have to do with balance and maintenance are depleted. And uh, as Stanford University found in a bunch of studies, there are CB1 and CB2 receptors in the body. CB1 receptors are cannabis receptors naturally in the body, in the immune system as well, which are CB2 receptors. The CB1 receptors are neural receptors. Um, Dr. David Schubert with the Salk Institute right here in San Diego uh, has seen how uh, there's just phenomenal improved neuroplasticity. So I've been fi fighting for, and you can see me if you Google um, MSNBC, Nick Lowry, a wonderful interview a couple years ago with Dr. Bennett Amalu, famous for the diagnosis of um, yeah, the chronic traumatic movie. encephalopathy. Yeah. Yes. 
talking about this intercellular helmet. So I'm really excited because we have helped transform the attitude and the acceptance of CBD uh, nationally and internationally. And Canaway Sports is uh, is now, um, if you go to our website, K-A-N-N-A-W-A-Y, Canaway Sports. I'm the director, and I, I work directly with Dr. Stuart Titus and Blake Schrader, the CEO, and Chris Bowman and Steve Jones and these outstanding people here at Canaway to to bring this to the world. And uh, what what is better, Mike, than helping the people you love and were teammates with and your own family and friends have better quality of life? I mean, is there anything better than that? There really isn't. Yeah, because my worry is just like the NCAA, I don't think they still don't allow CBD, do they? The, the NCAA, um, I think it's going to take longer, um, but – you know, these are things that are, are they they flow from below, from the grassroots level, and the demand for them. Um, for instance, the awareness of concussions now that women are concussed two to three times the rate of men. Um, the awareness of the impact of concussions, not just concussions, but uh, traumatic brain injuries and long-term small hits, how that affects the brain and its capacity. I can tell you personally, my brother Chris was diagnosed with Alzheimer's and dementia, and he's been out with me on CBD for over a year now, and he's doing fantastically well. And the people at Banner Alzheimer's Institute, Dr. Ganesh, uh, is amazed. Just met with him and Chris last week. His memory's improved. His mood has gone through the roof. Um, and, you know, Alzheimer's and dementia are very serious issues yes. for anyone over 80, a very high percentage um, have that. And so helping people, once again, if you look at health, probably the beginning of health is that the brain stays healthy, that, you know, you're able to think and make decisions and take care of yourself. Yeah. And I know also, like I told you off air, my son has Asperger's. And when we started taking the CBD, like in 2013, it has helped him immensely. And I know up until like Fantastic. two years ago in the state of Indiana, it was like a quarter of a million dollar fine and 10 years in jail if you were giving your son something like that. Yeah, it, it's just ridiculous. So we're getting away from the hypocrisy, uh, really the sort of latent attitude from prohibition, which, you know, a few years after prohibition was ended for alcohol, um, this very bizarre uh, prohibition of cannabis where they completely confused marijuana, which has 80 times the levels um, uh, with THC and hemp. Hemp has 500 uses, um, and it's, uh, you know, I still am waiting for any of our athletes a single time to say that any of our products at any time had anything but a positive impact. When you look at and you listen to these pharmaceutical ads, every single one of them has very serious side effects, yeah. which they, you know, they, they're showing a visual of people smiling well, while they're talking about, you know, don't take such and such, you know, if you're allergic, don't take it if, you know, can cause death in extreme cases, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, just horrendous yeah. things and quality of life issues. Why do that first? Why it, it, not always minute, start a, with the natural? Yeah, they're a minute commercial where for 20 seconds, they're telling you the benefits and for 40 seconds, they're telling you all the negatives and the other experience exactly. I had with that was I got a bad prostate and a large prostate and it bothered me for like 10 or 15 years. I got this when I was like 30 
and I found a holistic doctor. I coach a Christian homeschooled football team now, and we had a holistic doctor, and he gives me, you know, this like prostate PMG, which is supposed to be for lowering your calcium and everything. Within a month, I've had no problems now for five years with the prostate. So the thing I've found is more often than not, especially with Big Pharma, give it as much money as they do to politicians, there's better ways than going Big Pharma. You know, I had prostate cancer, Mike, a year and a half ago. I had my uh, prostate out in a, a radical prostatectomy um, on October 16th of 2018. And um, my level of cancer went from a Gleason 8 score to a Gleason 7 score. And the, the area where it was located was as small or smaller than when it was originally diagnosed because what we see with CBD is it helps with apoptosis, which is facilitating and reinvigorating the correct cell selection of unhealthy cells for death, uh, which cancer interrupts, and secondly, angiogenesis, which is blood flow to the tumor. And in tests, we've had tests with, and you can see all sorts of studies at echoconnection, E-C-H-O connection.org. If you Google cancer, you can see with apoptosis um, research that showed with rats and mice that had tumors half the length of their body, and within weeks, those tumors had shrunk to less than half their size. Yeah. So, you know, th uh, without going into uh, – these are real medical NIH-quality papers. So uh, I'm excited to be part of uh, a revolution to restore real health and some level of control over health that all of us deserve to give ourselves. All right. I told you I'd get you off by 4.30. It's 4.31, so I'm going to let you go. But I would love to have you on to talk a little bit more about Canaway and also your career. But real quickly, go ahead and tell us where they can find you again and find out about Canaway. Thank you. Canaway is at K-A-N-N-A-W-A-Y, Canaway.com, or Google Canaway Sports. You can email me at nick at LowrySpeaks.com, L-O-W-E-R-Y-S-P-E-A-K-S, like speaking, LowrySpeaks.com. And then if you want to look at the great work we do with our foundation for the homeless and for veterans and for children, you can go to NickLowry.org or NickLowryFoundation.org, N-I-C-K-L-O-W-E-R-Y.org. Thanks All again, Mike. I really appreciate it, brother. No problem, Nick. I want to remind everybody you can hear our, all of our shows at Spotify, iHeartRadio, iTunes, TuneIn, Spreaker, Stitcher. But for now, for Nick Lowry, I'm Mike Goodpaster. You've been listening to The Grueling Truth, where the legends speak.